come with us. Into the wild wood. And find the magic within. Welcome fellow travellers into the Wildwood, a pagan podcast coming to you from different sides of the globe. <laughs> With your hosts, Lee Johnson or Red Oak and Reverend Kai. How has everybody's week been? Let us know in the chat. Uh, we love to hear your questions and your comments. Uh, today we're doing the astrology forecast for May. May? I have got my ones yep. right. Yes, yes May. May. Yes. I, yes. I double checked a couple of times to make sure. <laughs> it has gone quickly. <laughs> it has gone quickly. I can't believe that it's already May. No. Oh, my, oh, my. Mm-hmm. So, the first part, we will uh, look at the month ahead. And if you have questions about anything, put them in the chat while we're going. And then the second part, after we come back from our, after we come back from our break, or we'll blur. focus on the on the questions and any questions about charts or or wherever anybody wants to go with it. Cool. All right then. Take it away. Let's get into it. Okay, so here we have. May 1st, and uh, there's, um, let's see, big things we've got coming this month is on May 1st, we've got the Mercury Kazemi uh, and Pluto Stations Retrograde. Eh. Um, Then the 5th is the Lunar Eclipse and the Full Moon. And then we've got Mercury Stationing Direct on the 15th and Jupiter Ending Taurus on the 16th. And then the new moon on the 19th and some more aspects and Mercury retrograde shadow ends on the last day of the month. Um, Everybody in the chat, let me know if you can see these charts okay. If they're too small, I'll switch over to a different program and see if that'll show up the charts a little bit better. So to begin with, um, the first of the month. This is technically when Pluto stations retrograde. However, Pluto is so slow. um, It has not moved out of the second it is in. So there's a degree and then there's 60 seconds in a degree. It has not moved out of that second since the middle of April. And it won't move out of that second until the middle of May. So this is technically the retrograde day, but it's, it's very, very still. Sounds like um, up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is also the day of the Mercury Kazemi, when Mercury meets up with the Sun in its retrograde journey. So this is a Promethean uh, conjunction, or what we call the inferior conjunction, as opposed to the superior conjunction. All that inferior means is that Mercury is between us and the Sun, whereas the superior conjunction means... Mercury is on the other side of the sun from us when it happens. But the Promethean conjunction, as opposed to the Epimethean conjunction, the Promethean one means foresight. 
So this is because Mercury is on its way back towards the sun and it's this meeting and it's going to go behind before it turns around and comes back this way. This is the point where uh, we can look forward and have information about what's coming. So if Mercury retrograde has been kicking your butt all of this time, this Kazemi is nice to be able to see things clearly for a little bit. It's just this one day. It's not very long. Um, let me grab the exact time, 2327. So right at the very end of the day, that's GMT. So that's going to last most of that day and most of the next day. So the first and the second should be able to have a, a break from the mercuriness of it all. Um, this is the halfway point in Mercury's underworld journey through rebirth. And so it's the lowest it gets, um, conceptually speaking. In declination, Mercury and the Sun are not actually in conjunction. Mercury is a couple degrees below. So it won't actually be like a super powerful Kazemi where Mercury is truly in the heart of the Sun. But it's still moderately workable. Um, also on this day, Jupiter finally gets far enough away from the Sun or the sun gets far enough away from Jupiter because uh, the sun is moving faster than Jupiter um, and becomes visible as a morning star. So we have had Jupiter under the beams and combust and unavailable for quite some time now, which is kind of sucky because Jupiter has the protective influences and the organizing influences. It's the greater benefic. It's a really nice planet. So it'll be very nice when it comes back and uh, it is again visible and this should come with some enthusiasm. Um, it should be a feeling of the return of organization, the return of a greater protective influence. So I'm really looking forward to the return of Jupiter and morning stars are always, um, well, Diurnal planets are more powerful as morning stars and nocturnal planets are more powerful as evening stars. So Jupiter is a diurnal planet. This is one of its most powerful positions that is emerges as a morning star during this time uh, because it's not in a retrograde station. It's been through its purification with the sun and is this is the first time we see it in this new synodic journey. Um, so if you want to do some Jupiter type stuff, dawn, uh, wherever you are on the first, after the first, um, will be a good time for Jupiter, also because of the Mercury Kazemi. So the Kazemi is kind of like the exception to the retrograde in the middle of it, the story of Mercury. Okay, and then let's go forward here. Doot. Make sure we're going by days. <laughs> Not really much going on. Second, third, fourth, we have uh, Venus square Neptune. So Venus is there in the last degrees of Gemini. She's going to transition into Cancer in a couple of days. And is squaring Neptune there in the last degrees of Pisces. Um, this is a really nice feeling aspect. Uh, very positive, very romantic. Uh, but it's Neptune, so it's um, 
It's not really the truth. It's like watching a great movie. You know, the story is written to capture your attention, not because it's what's really going on. So pay attention to, you know, things there. Um, it's, it's kind of deceptive. It's kind of uh, things are not what they seem. But with that, that square to uh, Venus and in that exaltation, it's, it feels really good. Enjoy the feeling. And the reason I bring this up is it leads right into the solar eclipse the next day. Uh, not solar eclipse, pardon me. Lunar eclipse. Solar eclipse was last month. So the uh, Venus-Neptune square is at 1740 on the 4th. And then the actual full moon lunar eclipse is at 1734 on the 5th. So they're... They're like 24 hours apart. And that's close enough that the um, the lunar eclipse is still going to have this illusory aspect in it. It's like setting the stage. So the lunar eclipse is, um, it's an A-pulse eclipse. Let's look over here at the area. So we'll just watch little animation to see the eclipse as it moves across. I just want to see the animation. I'll play that again. Hey. Puppy dog. <laughs> it's like, I want to see the animation. <laughs> Everybody wants to see the animation. <laughs> so this is an A-pulse eclipse, which means that the moon never actually makes it into the shadow of the Earth. It only makes it into the penumbra, the, the edge of the shadow. And so it's really not going to be much of an eclipse. It, the moon's not going to turn red. Um, it, none of it's going to disappear. It's just going to be like kind of a dark full moon. Kind of a dull. Kind of a dull one. Instead of that nice bright full moon that we often get this time of year, it's it's just going to be a little darker, a little duller. Does that, and I. Sorry, just have, in terms of doing magic um, on an eclipse, um, does that change anything? Does it affect it? Yeah. Generally speaking, I say don't do magic on an eclipse unless you really know what you're doing. Mm. Um, and this is one where there is some magic that will work with this eclipse. It's a full moon, so it's about letting go and releasing and making things smaller. It's in Scorpio, so it's about releasing and uh, purging and removing. And it's a south node eclipse. You can see the south node there with the moon. So it's about releasing and letting things go and making things smaller. So if that's what you want to do, this eclipse will go with that. I wouldn't use it for really anything else. Getting because, rid of habits and things. Yeah, getting rid of habits, decreasing things, minimizing things, purging moving things out, 
Um, the, the problem here is you better know what you're doing before we get there. Like you need to be making that decision this weekend. Because as the eclipse energy builds, as the moon gets into Scorpio, it's pretty early there. And as we have this Venus-Neptune square, we're not going to know what we're doing. Eclipses are a minimizing of light. Both the solar and the lunar eclipse cut out the normal light. That's what makes them an eclipse. And when there's not as much light, you can't see as well. Just like when Neptune is involved, it's your blind spots. So by the time we get to the fourth and the fifth, we're not going to really be able to see what's going on. It's going to be moving forward on what we already know to kind of get through this, this darker tunnel. The end of the eclipse tunnel is pretty dark in this case. There's no light there. <laughs> it's like somebody put a curtain over the end and it will be a, a much more marked change. So you don't want to make decisions around this eclipse, especially the day before. If you didn't already plan on doing magic beforehand, don't decide to do magic spontaneously on this eclipse. Because you'll probably pick the wrong thing or it'll come with consequences you didn't intend, that sort of stuff. Um, now, this is also, uh, because it's a Scorpio eclipse, Scorpio is, um, you know, one of the signs that really does more with less. So minimalistic kind of stuff, um, very DIY kind of stuff will align with this energy. It's not going to favor you if you set up a whole big elaborate ritual and try to time everything just perfectly because that's not really the energy of what's going on here. And this eclipse is square to Pluto again, um, just like the previous one was. So that understanding of those bigger power structures is going to play into it. Whatever you do is going to affect you and your place in those power structures. Mm. So that's something to consider. And I think that's a pretty big weighty subject to consider. And with these kind of, I uh, can't see very well, aspects around the eclipse, I want to really warn that you, you've got a couple of days to make your decisions. By the 1st of May, if you haven't clearly decided on what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, skip this one. Because mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty of time for some, some pretty awesome magic later in the month and when we get to the new moon. Um, but the nice thing about this eclipse, it is uh, the middle of the sorrow cycle 141. Haha, -ha, I got it right, 141. So this links to the first one in Scorpio, in, or the most recent one in Scorpio in cycle 141 was two, April of 2005. The next one will be May of 2041. So that middle Scorpio in that long cycle is a good time for adjustments. So if you have long-term habits that you need to let go of, if you have bullshit in your life that you need to purge and just get out of there, this is a good time for it. And it will last a long time. We've got until 2041 um, for uh, this to, to take effect and 
be in our lives until the next partial lunar eclipse. Great time to get a divorce in. Yeah, if you, <laughs> if, if that's what you're going for, it get would be... Of, get rid of the mother-in-law, yeah. <laughs> I, I have seen a lot of people ending relationships, uh, getting divorces. Uh, Juno's in this mix over here in... in um, Virgo and playing into a lot of the themes. Also, Vesta's there in Aries. Those aren't on the screen right now because I don't have my asteroids turned on. Um, and people are moving house. Lots and lots of moving house mm -hmm. is happening. So if if there's stuff you want to let go of, stuff you want to purge, um, you know, it'll be out. The moon is in a trine uh, with Mars by sign, uh, which will be a better feeling. The last one, um, the moon was received by Mars and Aries was received by Mars and Aries, or the sun was received by Mars and Aries, but it was in a square relationship. And so a little bit tougher, a bit more rough in the experience of the clip of the eclipse. This one should be a bit more smooth, but that also means like um, the purging will not be stop kind of thing. The doorway is open for the the crap to flow out. Um, so if you start that, it, it may be a very cathartic experience that really just purges completely. So be aware of the ramifications of that. You know, um, some people with, with planets in these areas may just go ahead and, and get the purging anyways. Uh, because this is the the attitude that's happening here. Um, but if you add magic to that, you will set off a catharsis, and it will come out. And if you're not prepared for that, that can be um, extremely exhausting. So just, you know, think carefully, make your choices carefully, be informed about what's going on. Um, both of these eclipses are ruled by Mars in Cancer. That's where Mars is in its fall. It's the worst place for Mars to be in the Zodiac. And it's because Cancer is all about protection and home and, and enclosing the borders and keeping everything safe inside. And, and Mars is going out. I mean, the glyph for Mars is literally an arrow that says go. And so, you know, the energy of Mars wants to go out and move out and everything else. And the energy of Cancer wants to keep everything enclosed and at home and safe. And so we can kind of see the, the protection themes that come up that way. But again, an eclipse that's south node in Scorpio about purging. Guess where the go energy is going to go? <laughs> right through you. So just, you know. Be aware, informed decisions, all of those sort of things. Also, on the same day, we hit astrological Samhain or Beltane, where the sun hits 15 degrees of Taurus. Uh, the eclipse happens at 14 degrees and 58 seconds, two mm -hmm. seconds before Beltane or Samhain. So it's, you know, a couple of hours later. So the veil is going to be thin, but it's probably going to be dark. And difficult to see. This will probably produce some confusing things. People are going to have visions. People are going to have contacts and messages. And who knows 
if we can rely on them at this time. You know, we're lining up the doorway, the annual doorway that opens up this, this movement through that's lining up with the nodes, that's lining up with the luminaries. Lots of things are lining up. But it's like you can walk around in the other world, but you'll be wearing a blindfold. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you don't want to necessarily cut out your Beltane or Samhain celebrations, but you probably want to consider that, especially, I know for a lot of people, Samhain is, is a time of divination very, very frequently. And this, um, I, I wouldn't say don't do the divination, but consider the circumstances upon which it arrived. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to wait a little while to see what comes of it. Don't take it on faith. Investigate other avenues. Consider that this may be a romantic story that you're receiving as opposed to uh, direct communication because Mercury is also still retrograde during this time. So there's a lot of reasons that we're not going to get the full truth and only the truth through this period. All right. If anybody has any questions about the eclipse or anything like that, pop them in the chat. Let's go on. Okay. The next day, Ceres goes direct, although um, I don't even have Ceres on the screen. But Ceres has been retrograde. It's kind of been sucky. Um, I'll be happy to have Ceres go direct, and maybe we'll have a little more stability as far as food and, and supplies and that sort of thing. I think um, the the lunar eclipses in Scorpio and uh, they kind of point to food shortages. Uh, Taurus is about food and supplies. Scorpio is about a lessening and getting by on less resources, um, having to combine resources, having to share with each other. So uh, Sari's going direct right after the eclipse happens. I think we're going to see shortages and experience shortages and have to be creative. But um, I think it will feel like the tide is turning. Not 100% sure it really is, but at least it will feel like it the next day. And then we have, on the 7th, Venus finally reaches uh, out of Gemini and enters into Cancer. Let me grab the time for that. 1424 on the 7th is when Venus enters Cancer. Um, She will be co-present with Mars for a little while. Mars doesn't get out of Cancer and enter Leo until the 20th. So there's a potential for fighting. Um, and conflict there, uh, as Venus and Mars really are opposite poles of energy, and they're both in the um, the water sign, all enclosed in Cancer, all kept at home and bundled up. And this is also a world point and an Aries point. The zero degrees of all of the cardinal signs is called an Aries point because it aspects that Aries point by square or opposition. So this is often very noticeable on a world stage. It's often something we feel because everybody gets hit with it. Everybody experiences this. So on the one hand, Venus coming into Cancer is kind of a a nice, um, harmonious healing energy for the path that Mars has been burning through there. Um, Just like Venus in Gemini here has been kind of healing some of the stuff that the Mars retrograde forever in Gemini dealt with. So I'm hoping that Venus again goes through that process and helps clear that up. Uh, But 
there's also again that potential for conflict. But this is also if you if you do have that romantic um, want to be focusing on harmony and beauty and Venus kind of things, you can wait until after this eclipse. When Venus hits this zero point, this is a good time for that kind of stuff. And do you want to do some glamour magic, spruce up your appearance, wash your hair with the uh, Beltane dew, gather it on Beltane morning and wash your hair a couple days later uh, kind of thing, you know. Uh, so just give Venus a little bit of time, a little patience at the beginning of the month here. Okay. Not much on the 8th. And then on the 9th, we have got the sun meeting up with Uranus down here. This is always a time where um, things are shocking. Um, and not in a, I never expected that kind of way, but in a startle, uh, electric lightning strike. Uranus is like the lightning strike, but you're in a lightning storm. Like you, you can feel it coming as they approach. So it's not unexpected, but it's still, um, well, I don't want to say surprise. It's still shocking. And this aspect lasts until the 20th. It's, it's a big orb. The sun has a very large orb. So we've got most of the month with this um, sun conjunct Uranus in influence. The exact time is 19.55, so pretty late in the day on the 9th. And this is good for, again, sudden change in course. Um, letting go of stuff there with the eclipse. Uranus comes through and we can really like course correct, not in just a little nudge, but like a U-turn if we want, or, you know, a big turnaround, a big move. Uranus also brings innovation. It's not just bad things, um, but we can get some new ideas. We can have new things come through. There's been a lot of aspects leading up to this that have been opportunities for innovation, opportunities for new ideas to come through, uh, for new understandings. And this would be the perfect time to get the aha moment and go, oh, I'm going to implement that. And it will have that sudden breakthrough, that pushing through the limit, that opening up into a whole new world kind of effect if you tie it to this Sun and Uranus conjunction. And notice this isn't called a Kazemi. The outer planets don't get Kazemis uh, because they're, they cannot visibly sit in the heart of the Sun. So Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, they don't get that kind of stuff. But it does start a new... Um, cycle for Uranus. We're still going to have it in Taurus for quite some time, messing things up there as, as Uranus does, but this will be a new cycle and a new perspective and hopefully some innovation on things. Okay, next day. Um, it doesn't really show visibly on here, but Mercury gets far enough away from the sun that we have um, the... Mercury emerging as the morning star. This is the Lucifer phase. This is uh, just like what happened with Jupiter. Mercury is far enough away that in the morning uh, rising, we can see Mercury before the sun. Uh, I highly suggest you go out at dawn 
and actually sight Mercury rising before the sun on the 10th, uh, dawn wherever you are, if you want to uh, use this. Now, this happens in a retrograde and usually happens in a retrograde. So this is the wonderful time for that self um, transformation magic that goes along with a Mercury retrograde. The purification has happened. The underworld journey has been there. The meeting with the sun. And now it's time to bring it out into the world and bring it into physicality. So this is a, a, a great time for that. It is also when the moon trines the sun. So we get the crone phase of the tripartite moon phases. So this is the wisdom point in the monthly cycle, which I think goes really nicely with uh, Mercury emerging as the morning star. So again, another handy time for magic. You just got to keep in mind the flow of the energies. This is about transformation of the self and gaining wisdom for the self. It's not anything outward or projective. It's all about internal alchemy. Okay. A couple days later on the 12th, we get to the last quarter phase. This is the square. So uh, this is the point where we, get, we turn from light to darkness in the moon phase. And we decide um, this is what was reaped uh, from the full moon. And now we will take this knowledge into the underworld phase of the moon, into the dark, darkening phase of the moon for rebirth. Um, if we think of this in a planting cycle, it's when you look at, at what has been harvested and you select what will be saved back and planted for next year. What will be used in the next incarnation. We also have Mercury... Uh, retrograde sextiling Saturn in Pisces at this time. And that's kind of like a reality check. You got to deal with the, the laws and the rules of Saturn. And of course, Saturn in Pisces has, has so far been a lot about spirituality, religious practices, religious discipline, that sort of thing that we've seen on the world stage. And I'm sure it's hitting people personally in the same way if it's bubbling up into the media in that manner. So um, I think this combined with the wisdom phase and Mercury emerging as the morning star, here's another reinforcing of really bringing that self-actualization of understanding, gnosis, wisdom into reality, into a working model, into something that actually serves. The sextile is supporting, it's about opportunities, this is happening right there um, in the realm of the North Node. So it can very much be a lifelong uh, development and help us in the all of the things we're searching and achieving that are about our life path and our movement into the future. So again, good time for magic, good time to bring all of this in. Full moon's kind of crappy, but after that, things really get pretty nice <laughs> as far as doing magic. I don't have to be like, don't do magic this month, which was much of the last month. All right. And then the next day, right after sextiling Saturn, Mercury gets to sextile Venus. And this is always nice. I love Mercury sextiles Venus because it just, it feels good, <laughs> you know? And, and it picks up this wonderful triangle 
Venus is in trine to Saturn. Mercury's right here in the middle with the North Node. We've got some harmony going on. We've got some, some nice things going on with the nocturnal planets. Saturn and Venus are both nocturnal planets. They're both uh, currently in water signs. So this is all, you know, internal kind of stuff again. But it's also um, the wisdom of the night, uh, which I think is very comfortable for many people who practice the craft. Finding that, that understanding in the dark, finding that harmony and that beauty in the shadows of things. All right. No questions about any of that so far? Let's go on. Hmm? Not yet. The 15th, Mercury stations direct. Yay. So uh, this is the end of the retrograde. Um, it's in Taurus. It's very close here to the North Node still that it's stationing direct. And um, it's pretty close to Jupiter. Jupiter ha will go into Taurus the next day. So let me grab an actual time. Nope. For Mercury. Where'd it go? There it is. 3.16 on the 15th. So early, early on the 15th, Mercury stations direct. And then Jupiter goes into Taurus on the 16th at 17.20. So what's that? About a day and a half apart? Um... Jupiter entering Taurus right there, right next to Mercury Station Direct, is helpful. It helps produce some tangible results. Mercury often emerges from the underworld journey and stations direct, and it, it stops. And it's like, oh, I've got some new ideas now. I found some new things on my journey. I, I re-examine things on the retrograde. And now we have some new ideas and some new plans and some new ways to implement it. And with Mercury being involved with Saturn and Venus right here, those plans can be pretty good. I mean, Saturn really likes plans. Saturn likes to plan ahead and then do the work and then harvest, you know? So this is a good time to, to sit down and, and plan some things out. Look at, you know, what you want to do for the next year or two or if you don't want to see that far ahead, just for the next Mercury cycle, which is 88 days. Um, all this happening in Taurus in this fixed Earth, it's going to be kind of slow. Um, but it's it's helpful at this time to to really have a look at, at um, where you're going and what you're doing with this new information. What you how have you come out of the Mercury retrograde and how do you feel about it? And as Jupiter enters Taurus, everybody's very excited about this because we would all like the protective influence of Jupiter back. And Uranus has been fucking shit up in Taurus for quite a while. Everybody's sick of the delays and the interruptions and, and the disruptions that are happening in all of these fixed earth things, the resources that we rely on the things that we turn to and, and just expect to be there like utilities and food and all of that sort of stuff. So I think Jupiter coming into Taurus is going to be nice. Very nice. And then of course, any planet enters uh, a new sign and we must play the toll to Saturn sitting there on that sign border. 
between Capricorn and Aquarius. So Jupiter squares Pluto. I'm sorry. We pay the toll to Pluto sitting on the sign border. Wrong, wrong malefic planet. Saturn on the brain. Where did that go? Oh, it's on the next page. That's why I can't find it. Jupiter squares Pluto on the 18th at 109 in the morning. So very, very early. And the moon is also squaring Pluto just a little bit before that. And um, on the previous day at 1300. And we've got this setup that's happening here. We're entering this, this big T-square. Mars, Pluto, and Jupiter, North Node, Mercury, Moon this big pile. And Jupiter, of course, is going to be there while Mercury is turning around and moving on. The moon will zip right by in a day. But this big um, Mars will be in Leo in just a moment. Uh, Jupiter entering Taurus and then Pluto sitting right there in Aquarius on that border. This sets up a fixed T-square. And on the one hand, this is some seriously good get shit done energy. As Mars moves into Leo on the 20th, right after the new moon, it's going to be go-getting. Mars will be in a fire sign, will be in trine to its home in Aries. It was in trine to its home in Scorpio, um, but it won't be in fall anymore. And so we'll have this just move it forward energy. And making that square with Jupiter, Jupiter will be positive and supportive. Now, these are squares, so they're going to be challenges that need to be overcome. But there's just all of that fixed oomph behind it of just, I'm going to plow through, put my nose to the grindstone, and I will push on this wall until it falls down. So picking that up anywhere in here, this, this square is building between the 18th and the 23rd. The new moon is right in there on the 19th. Um, and this is, everybody's doing well in this. The, the Mars is received by the sun. So good rulership for Leo. Jupiter is received by Venus. So good re rulership for Taurus and Sat or Pluto is an aversion to Saturn. So not as much pain in the ass from the malefic. Um, there will be pushback. There will be what seems like an insurmountable thing to overcome because of the Pluto corner of this T-square. But this just can really push through with the new goals, with the energy of the new moon. And there's so many points in here you could pick for timing. You could grab it for the new moon. You could grab it for when Mars enters Leo. Um, you could grab it for when the sun enters Gemini, which is on the 21st. Uh, if you don't want the sun in Taurus, you could get a little earlier when Jupiter goes into Taurus. So like from the 16th to the 21st, anywhere in there, you can grab this energy and really just get some, some heavy movement behind your goals that just kind of bulldozes through things. Okay, let's get... Just kind of line up with the Mercury stationed on the 15th and making new plans. And then uh -huh. the new moon on the 19th and then 20th. Uh, push that forward kind of thing. Yeah. A very, a very good time, I think, in here for magic, despite what we've got going on with the Malefics. But the Malefics are always there. The nodes are always there. 
you know, you do the best you can with, with what's there. So here's our new moon day. And it starts with the moon right there conjunct uh, Uranus, but it will make it all the way to the sun before um, the sun leaves for Gemini. So this is a Taurus new moon, which again, that fixed Earth energy is going to be able to combine with Mercury still in Taurus and Jupiter still in Taurus. And remember, they're still morning stars. They're still in this wisdom phase of announcing the coming dawn and bringing all of this um, protection and energy and understanding to everything after their underworld journeys. So this, this new moon is a very, a very nice time for a very many things, whatever it is you want to do with your goals. The new moon is exact at 1553 on the 19th. And then to add in a, a little bit of things, um, the asteroid Haumea, which is all about regeneration and rebirth, it's kind of like the opposite of Pluto. Pluto tears everything everything down and destroys it all the way to the ground. Haumea is um, all of the rebirth that comes from that. The moon is going to square Haumea moments after the new moon. So very nice energy of building and growing and regeneration. This is a phoenix rising from the ashes. This is a forest growing after the forest fire. There's a lot of, of really good bring it into fruition kind of energy going on here. And with the, with the North Node right there, again, you can, you can align this to your life path. You can bring it into foreverness <laughs> in your life part of your your increasing movement towards whatever you're moving towards towards union with divinity towards gnosis towards all of those things so new moon next day mars goes into leo and that happens on the 20th at 1531 you could grab that if you really want some forward moving um intense outward energy if mars in cancer has been driving you crazy and you feel like you just can't go anywhere because you're stuck at home and the emotions are weighing you down this burst of mars into leo into a fire sign should really alleviate that and if that's where your magic is grab that point and then the next day um we've got the sun entering gemini so this is also when Mars will make that perfect um, opposition to Pluto. It's just a few seconds later, just the way the numbers line up. So the sun enters Gemini on the 21st at 7.09. This will add some mutable air energy, some thought, some conversation, some uh, changeable things. Mutable is not about constantly changing. That's actually cardinal signs because they're the turning points. Mutable is about two things at once. They're double-bodied signs. This and this. This and this. A and B. Mutable is the time of year when the weather is both hot and cold. Both rainy and stormy. Both, you know, it's, it's not the two things at exactly the same time, but one day will be hot, one day will be cold. So that's the kind of mutable characteristic. And if you want two things out of this, pick up on that Gemini energy. Um, the sun is not 
like part of this T-square in alignment, but the sun is the biggest thing in the sky <laughs> and the most important thing in astrology and in everything. So if you want to tie it to the sun and really pick up on this mutable energy, this will flow through of giving you doubles on stuff. So that's that whole from the the 15th to the 21st sequence with the new moon in there. There's so much, so many things you can do with that, magically speaking. Um, and I would probably do some magic, you know, I'd pick up on the Mercury being the morning star, right? Because there's some real Gnosis stuff in there. And then get some plans in with the Mercury stationing direct. And then I'd pick up on this big T-square with the new moon. And then when the sun enters Gemini, I'd be like, now give me double. Mm. And add on to that. Give me twice as much. You know, because planets in, in Gemini will often show up twice with their effects. So this is a real handy spot to squeeze that, that thing in there. Give me double, you know, pay out twice. Very, very handy. And then the, the good magic times don't stop because on the 23rd, whoops, wrong button. The uh, Mars is just far enough into Leo and Jupiter is just far enough into Taurus that we get a square with Mars and Jupiter. So um, this is going to be in the fixed fire and the fixed earth between them early on in the sign. Jupiter is basically on top of that node, opening up that north node and expanding all of these things that are about, you know, big destiny, life purpose, long-term rewards, that sort of stuff. Uh, both are about expansion and making things big, both the north node and Jupiter. So big in fixed earth sounds pretty good to me. That's an abundant garden. That's lots of resources. That's plenty of money. That's plenty of things to draw on. And that finally out of the fall Mars that is ready to just explode into Leo, that's something nice to add to that. So I, I would also pick up here on the 23rd, and let me grab the exact time, 5.12 on the 23rd. Now, I give everyone these exact times. Of course, there's always a window around it. You don't need to do it right on the second, unless you want to. If you want to, that's perfectly fine. Um, but there's, you know, six, seven hours. Slower planets, bigger windows. The moon, like, small window. It's about six hours. But Mars, it's about six hours either side, maybe even eight hours either side. So you got a pretty good window. I would definitely pick up on this energy for doing money magic for doing abundance. Um, it's going to involve a challenge. It's going to involve you actually having to put in the work and energy and action. It's Mars. You got to do something to make Mars manifest. You have to enact it in the physical. But again, this is really a great opportunity to bring this out and to really expand and get some growth going. And again, with the sun in Gemini, capitalize on that doubleness capitalize on the rewards coming twice, maybe even more than that, because you've got both the North Node and Jupiter there in that expansion and just making things big. This is the time to, to write those um, spiritual che checks to your bank account, because it's going to grow huge, you know, it's really focus on that. So very, very good. And, and a couple days later, 
two more days on the 25th, Mars comes into that perfect alignment square to the North Node just a few degrees later, and the Moon is there. So on the 25th, you can pick up again and capitalize on this expansion, capitalize on this growth, capitalize on this bigger thing. Again, it has to be with action. It has to be with an overcoming. But it's the moon will help carry that through and help bring that into fruition. We are just um, a couple of days away here, five days away from the mother phase uh, when we come into the growing uh, of what we've planted. So a very good time again to do long-lasting magic that brings it out and brings it into being. Let me grab the time for Mars square the North Node. Where'd it go? There we are. 3.20 on the 25th, Mars square the North Node. So really, like the whole middle of May is some great abundance energy, some great building energy, some great transformation energy. Okay, the first quarter moon happens here on the 27th. Um, the moon is, uh, I have that on the right date? Yes, okay. The moon will be entering Virgo. Let me just take this off of midnight and a little bit further forward. So we can actually see the moon in Virgo. There we go. The moon in Virgo. Um, so the moon crosses into Virgo, we get our first quarter, and then we get the moon opposing Saturn. And then, of course, because of this, and just a, a little bit later, the sun is going to square Saturn also, and we set up another T-square like we had with, uh, or we still have, with Jupiter, Pluto, and Mars. Now we've got a mutable T-square over here with the sun, um, the moon, and Saturn. And this will probably be more noticeable because it involves both luminaries. So mutable signs are about the decline into something else. Cardinal is about the big change. Mutable is about uh, the decline. Fixed is about the stay. And the decline happens by being this and this, this and this, this and this. And it's kind of like, you know, the overlapping pattern. You get one and ten of the first thing, and then you get two of the new thing and nine and so on and so forth. So this mutable T-square will probably bring about changes that are kind of bumpy as it goes from one thing to the other as we experience that, that mutability. But if you've done all this magic beforehand, especially if you've worked with that nice, um, well, if you've worked with that nice um, relationship here between Mercury and Saturn and Venus that we had with that nice little sextile trine earlier in the month around the uh, 11th and 12th. This is probably when it's going to start manifesting and being able to, to come into being. But don't get discouraged if it's just a little here and then it goes back and then a little here and then it goes back because it's all coming in through these mutable signs and into this big T-square. Um, it will kind of feel like um, uh, kind of a bit of frustration. As the sun goes into Gemini, usually we want to be more social. We want to talk more. We want to engage more with things and experience more. And Saturn always says no to things. So 
um, again, it, it's mutable time. It, it's 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 changeover time. Don't get discouraged with that. And then let's see on the 29th, zoom. We have Mercury hit its greatest western elongation. This is the farthest it gets from the sun. Um, it's because the sun moves away. It's going to seem like Mercury turns around and heads back towards the sun. Of course, in retrograde, it's already done that. But we're talking about in relation to when we see it in the morning sky. So this is the brightest it gets as a morning star. The earliest rising it has as a morning star. And kind of like the pinnacle of the integration of wisdom that we get from the Mercury retrograde. And then it will get closer and closer to the sun as it picks up speed and moves forward. The Western elongation is almost like another station in that it's like um, we are as, as far away as we can get, as self-individuated as we can be between the Gnosis and the sun. And as they come back together, it's a, another reintegration and another pulling together. That's why Hermes is the thrice great, because we get to go through this period. So, again, another good time for magic. And another good time to bring in more of that understanding and more of that magic. And I do like that here, Mercury is fairly equidistant between Uranus and Jupiter at this time. And we still have that Jupiter on the North Node with that great expansion, bringing more of that in. So continue working that, that integration and that um, understanding and that gnosis into it. And then on the 30th, we get the sun or the moon trying to the sun about there in the middle of Libra, early Libra. This starts the first third of the three uh, tripartite moon cycle or the mother phase. This is, um, yes, there is life growing. Yes, there is something developing. And this happens in air signs this month. So uh, I think, again, this ties into the knowledge and the wisdom and the bringing it in and being able to integrate this intellectual understanding you know, this is turning around and applying what you've read and actually making it into something. You can take the things you've learned, you can actually make them into something concrete. And then the last day of the month, Mercury moves far enough along that it's out of its retrograde shadow. And we're finally into new territory as Mercury moves forward. Cool. All right, then, so we're going to take a break. We've, I didn't, we've covered lots of things. I was actually very rude and forgot to say hello to all the people that are here. Uh, Schrodinger's cat, Yolandi's, or Leia, Yolandi was here. She had to leave because she's got load shedding now, unfortunately. Uh, Popamies, Words of Power, Solemn Sun, Deborah, and Nia Nikes here. Uh, hello, everyone. First time catching a live. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. So while we take our break, if you have any questions about anything in the month of May or anything in your chart relating to that, put them in the chat and we will be happy to talk about it when we come back. Yeah, I will see you just now. 
Welcome back to Into the Wildwood, and today we're doing the astrology forecast for May. And if you do have any questions, please drop them in the chat. And they don't necessarily have to be about the month of May. They can be anything related to astrology, uh, questions about your own chart or something like that. Um, Sorry. Yep. Say, so if you'd like, um, if you got some specific magic you want to do, and you'd like to know when the best time to do it is, we can find that too. Mm. I think one of one of the things that might be of interest is to talk about the idea of the different planets being the morning stars, because mm. we usually only relate that to Venus and the aspect of uh, the Lucifer. Um, but then you're talking about other planets being the morning star. I mean, I, I get it. You know, it's the star just before the sun rising and bringing the wisdom and everything else. Um, well, yeah. the the reason that's usually only related to Venus is because of the translations in the Bible. Mm. But mm -hmm. um, Lucifer and Phosphor, uh, which are the Latin terms for morning and evening, evening star, um, uh, Prometheus and Epimetheus, they're, um, yes, they're terms in, in Greek mythology and that sort of thing, but it's just because they're the Latin words for those things. So mm. any of the, the visible planets, um, except the moon and the sun, of course, because those are luminaries. So the other five visible planets can be a morning star or an evening star. Mm. And they all have the relationship of bringing that wisdom or well, the same relationship, the Lucifer aspect, let's put it that way. Yes. Um, yeah. Just in different light bringer. Yeah. Yeah, because they're heralding the coming light. They're heralding mm. the coming dawn. They're they're making a heliacal rising before the sun. Mm. And in the evening star, it's more about the sustaining of the blessings, the holding out, the continuation, because they're behind the sun. They're seen after the setting. So they are the remaining hope. You know, after the sun has died and gone below the western horizon, there is still the stars. There is still the the lasting whatever quality, Venus, Harmony, Mercury, Understanding, Jupiter, Expansion and Organization, Saturn, uh, Rules and Structure. Who am I missing? Mars. Um, we don't hear about Mars as a morning or an evening star very often because um, it's war. <laughs> but action and movement and uh, defense it would be positive Mars qualities. And diurnal planets, uh, Mercury and Jupiter and Mars are um, heralded better in a morning star position. And nocturnal planets, Saturn and Venus and Mercury are hel heralded better in an evening star position because they're more comfortable in their sect or in their, their they like to be in the night or they like to be in the day. Mm. So they're more effective in those times and they get highlighted when they are in these positions as morning or evening star, um, because they are in, they are close to their, their time with the sun. It's part of the synodic cycle. Synodic cycle just means the planet in relation to the sun, where it is in that journey. So the diurnal planets, Mercury and Mars and Jupiter, they emerge as morning stars after their underworld journey after their trials. And 
they come through with more wisdom. They come through with more understanding. And that's part of, of what is happening there as they bring the light, they bring the understanding and the gnosis because they were just there. They were, they were hidden in the underworld, but they were hidden because the sun blotted them out because they were within the light, which is the same as, as dying in astrology, the same as returning. Yeah. Um, Solomon Sun has a question. Do you have recommendations on forms of prosperity and abundance workings for this month? I've been doing jars lately, but want to switch it up. Um, open the jars, first of all. <laughs> yeah, you want to let the yes, the prosperity and the abundance out. Yeah, you don't want to keep it all contained, because it's got to flow. <laughs> yeah, it's got to flow. Um, since there's an emphasis on Taurus, and that's where Jupiter is emerging as a morning star, and that's where the North Node is, I would focus on Taurian kind of workings and flavors, uh, which would involve things like planting seeds, um, good old dirt magic, um, you know, bringing things up out of the ground, working with money plants, working with uh, abundance flowing from plants and from food and from resources. Uh, bank accounts count as gardens. Um, they're the same kind of thing. They're a a pile of resources that we keep handy to draw upon when we need. And that's really um, that Torian kind of stuff. It is fixed earth. It's the resources you can return to that are there and are stable. And you can grow them all the time, but pull out of them whenever you need. So it's not a, a pass-through kind of thing. It's a builder, a stockpile kind of thing. So anything that works with that kind of imagery or understanding, um, you know, you could, uh, a bowl of grain would be very fixed earth and, and build a money bowl like that with some camut or some rice, something abundant and, and grow into that. I would probably also maybe once Mars moves into Leo, do like some oil lamp kind of stuff. And I'm talking old oil lamp, like open top with the wick out the side where you can work the oil, where you can put the things and the herbs in the oil and you're replenishing that constant flame and that constant movement and heat. But again, I'd, I'd wait until Mars is in Leo to do that part of things because Mars in Cancer, your, your lamp's going to go out. <laughs> it's going to sputter and die. So combining those things in many ways are possible. Lots of uh, creativity to use in there. Uh, we've got that, that um, Mercury emerging. And again, the lunar eclipse um, is, you know, do more with less. So that might bring about some insights on that to, to do some really simple stuff and bring that in there. Neonite was also going to ask about the morning stars. Lady Capera popped in and I think popped out again. <laughs> Hello, Lady Capera, if you're still here. Just in for a moment. Just in for a moment. Actually, maybe we should come back to Solomon's son. Um, we did do, we did actually mention this. Um, it was probably in the Money Magic live that we did with the Blackout Chat, and that was a while back. It's um, like the second show we did. Probably, yeah. But uh, when it comes when it comes to jar spells, um, 
and doing prosperity and abundance. And I know this this is prevalent on Instagram and TikTok and everything else. But if you're going to do a jar spell, you're kind of taking the taking the lid and tightening it up and containing everything in the jar. When it's prosperity and abundance, you want to release that. Because um, with with money magic, you need the energy to keep flowing. So you put in and you get out and you, you keep it flowing through instead of trying to contain it. Kind of like putting all your money in a, in a shoebox and putting it under your bed type of thing. Right. Your yeah. money doesn't grow that way. Yeah. So, I do really like oil lamp spells for that kind of work. Because mm. it's it's got that constant flow. It's got that constant move. And it's it's warming it up. It's adding action. It's getting things moving. Adding heat is very good for that. Now, if you don't want to do an open oil lamp, which... Uh, there are many reasons you might not want to do that. Um, working an oil lamp on top of the other uh, significators is also very good. You know, um, sigils, petitions, piles of of money that are charged or sitting in the oil lamp in the center of a bowl that you can put the coins and the grains around, that sort of thing for abundance. It's still the flowing through. It's still the adding the heat. Um, it's still that... Um, movement that is involved in wicking and bringing it into manifestation. That's very important. Um, you can kind of get there with a candle on top of a jar, but I don't think it works as well. Mm. Yeah, I've actually got one of those little um, it's the Hindu Indian um, oil lamps. So it's got the, the wick that goes in the little bit middle, little metal bit in the center. And then the oil is all on the outside, uh, which would be perfect for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, oil lamps require attention and tending to, which I think is also good for money magic and prosperity magic, you know. Um, you need to tend to your abundance. You need to tend to your garden. You need to tend to your investments. Um, you know, you don't make money by ignoring it you return to it, you, you keep it flowing, you, you remove bad things, you add good things. Um, and removing bad things, that's something I don't see very often in money magic, especially if you're working um, like a, a money bowl or something like that. You have to take things out of it. You have to keep it clean. You mm. have to stir it regularly. You, you can't just build a bowl full of rice and bay leaves and coins and call it good. Those Baileys have to come out and go in your wallet. Those coins have to come out and go out to charity. Um, you have to sift that rice. If any of it breaks down, if you get bugs in it or you get mold or anything like that, you have to take that out very quickly. You know, mm. So it's a constant tending um, that is necessary, I think, for abundance magic. And that's not the same as give me some money to pay this one bill. Quick money is very different than long-term prosperity abundance. Mm. Yeah, something I do, which I, I, I do remember mentioning once, because, um, as you know, I do a lot of walking because I don't drive a car anymore. Um, so on the way to the shop or wherever, if I find like 10 cents on the floor, which is usually smashed to pieces because everybody keeps stepping on it, I rescue it. So I rescue money. 
and then I put it in my little box over there, and I keep it all safe. <laughs> I like rescuing money. Uh, and yeah. The money that you charge specifically, you know, if you're doing money bowls, oil lamps, these kinds of workings, the way you spend it matters. You need the money that you take out of there needs to go to things that you really believe in, that you really want to um, put out into the world. That's why I always tell people give it to charity or give it to someone who's less fortunate than you. That is abundance, that is the flow of energy. Because what that does is it sets up that current of I give to charity and charity gives to me. Mm. You, you to participate in the big flow of the universe, just giving what is needed. If you only spend it on necessities, on bills, on um, things that you absolutely need, that's the cycle you get into, the, the cycle of necessity and need. Money doesn't come until you desperately need it then. Don't get yes. into that cycle. And this doesn't have to be all your money, obviously. You can't give all your money to charity. But if you put four quarters in there or four dimes in there or whatever, you take that out and you give it to charity. That's your symbolic money. That's your investment into that, that cycle of abundance. And you, you need to think about what cycle you're in and what cycle you want to be in. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, Neonite asks, uh, do you have any specific astrological advice? For career-related magic for this month, I want to start a new career path soon and still trying to figure out the how and when and all that. It's a difficult process to find that new way. I'd say that really depends on your personal chart, um, where your midheaven is and uh, what rules your sixth house. Uh, because those planets... and um, uh, also, what's activated for you in your um, timing are going to determine uh, where that's tied in. We do have an eclipse with a turning path. We've got lots of stuff going on around that north node, um, which can lead to different careers for people and different life path choices and changes. But, you know, if your sixth house is um, Libra and ruled by Venus, um, you know, then you got to pay attention to what's going on with with Venus and what it's doing. Uh, that would put your um, midheaven probably in a Saturn ruled sign, Aquarius, Capricorn, uh, possibly Pisces, where Saturn is for long term kind of stuff. And so you'd want to work on that Saturn Venus dynamic. But let's say your midheaven is in Cancer. Uh, let's see. Uh, that that ties it to the moon, which is a much more changeable kind of career. And so you're going to have to find um, stabilizing forces for when the moon is in uh, earth signs or in fixed signs to bring some more stability to that. And again, it depends on where your sixth house is. I'd be happy to look at it if you want to share your birth info, if you have that date, time, and place. But career, that's really a very individual um, thing. That's why I'd want to look at your chart and see what lines up with what. Mm. Yeah, we didn't actually mention it this month. Um, if you 
don't have your chart and would like it, uh, you can go to astro-seek.com. Got that right, didn't I? So it's got a hyphen. Yep. Mm-hmm. And plug your birth information into there, and it will spit out a nice chart for you. And you can get all your all your stuff ready. Um, oh, Solomson asks, uh, when it comes to road openings and unblockings, are these workings to repeat and tend to like jars? Yep, because if you're yep. moving down the road, you're on a new road, so you need to unblock it. <laughs> and we pick up shit along the, along the way as well, so yeah, creates blocks. I I like to time road openings with the moon phases. You know, around the the new moons, the first quarter in that early moon something. Whether you want to grab the exact new moon, uh, the trine, the sextile, the first quarter, one of those first opening things. Um, and it, it again, it depends on your chart and your life and, and your energy where that works best. But you can, you don't even have to have an astrological reading for that. You can just try, see which ones work. Um, because it's connected with that idea of moving into that new space and clearing the way in that new space for the abundance to come with the full moon each time. So, um, yeah, you don't, these are not set it and forget it things. These are not one-time things. And road openings and unblocking should be gentle. Just like um, taking laxatives should be gentle. (laughs) The same kind of thing. You would like a, a gentle clearing experience and restoration to normal. Rarely do you need dynamite to unblock a road. Sometimes you get there, but that's not where you start. Mm. You know what I mean? So, so focus. You want, you want little nudges. You want clearing. You want sweeping in front of you to make the way well and sweep away the shit you pick up along the way. Um, don't go gangbusters right at the beginning because what usually happens in that case um we we feel like we're blocked up we feel like it's it's really a problem and so we apply you know the c4 and the tnt and then we blow up everything we just (laughs) everything in life and that doesn't tend to open roads it just causes debris and confusion yeah but it's fun it It is dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Solomon said, I wonder if the planetary transits for me are affecting its progress. Uh, Scorpion, Stellium, Scorpion, Stellium, and Sagittarius, uh, Midheaven. Autocorrect, like, doesn't like Scorpio, likes Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpios and fixed signs, um, so that... Fixed signs are Taurus and Scorpio, Aquarius and Leo. We're all getting fucked recently. <laughs> it's been it's been a rough time. And eclipses in those signs, they're difficult. We've had a bunch of eclipses in those signs. This is the last one in Scorpio. <laughs> I'm so excited. I mean, I don't wish you'll... I, I've got some, um, some pretty uh, big Sagittarius placements too. But um, if you have a Scorpio stellium, and uh, Sagittarius Midheaven, you're you're getting some really rough things. Uh, Aquarius is getting some rough things. Taurus is getting some rough things. Leo, 
not as bad as Scorpio, Scorpio and Aquarius, but still it's square. It's opposite to that. Um, getting st some rough stuff. So if you have a bunch of placements there, if you have your luminaries there, if you have your ascendant or your midheaven there, it's going to be troublesome. But that is also definitely the time to be applying the extra magic. It doesn't mean, oh, the stars have doomed me and there's nothing I can do. Magic is to help you deal with these kinds of things. This is the environment we're in. It's Magic is the overcoming of fate. So use those tools, use that magic to help you get through that. Um, the, the, the time of terribleness for fixed signs, except for Pluto, is getting better. It is moving away from all of that focus on the fixed signs. So things, things will be improving in that the environment will be getting easier. But when I say that kind of stuff, some people, they just kind of throw their hands up in the air and they're like, well, you know, the stars have doomed me for now. But that's, that's not the case. It's just that you are currently in a very challenging environment, so you need to be bringing all of your skills to bear. Um, yes, yeah, so thank you. I'll have a look at my chart again. Astrology is a diff difficult topic for me to wrap my head around. Not alone, alone there, don't worry. Um, I have my chart <laughs> in an app, though. It would be amazing if you could have a look at it. Yeah, sure. Um, if you have your birth data, you can share it here. If you don't want to do that, you can uh, share in the astrology channel on our Discord server. I'd be happy to have a look at it. Um, do not just take a screenshot of your chart in the app. I, I can't read it. I can't get the information out of it. And most of the apps, the way they display charts, most astrologers find horrible because they don't include degrees. They don't include um, all of the information that is needed. Um, all of the information that is needed to judge your chart is all of your chart. There are so many techniques that are applied that are about timing and cycles and everything else. It is always better that if an astrologer says, hey, I'll look at your chart, just give them the birth data. So just just a friendly thing, because uh, all the apps we have these days to look at our charts and that sort of thing, they're really cool. And I see so many people ask for readings and they'll give me a screenshot of their chart or even worse, just a little close up on one little area of the chart. I can't read that. It's not It's not enough information to actually be able to discern it. Um, in fact, that's why charts are what they are. They are the most concise way <laughs> to communicate a very large amount of information. So, you know, always share your birth data if you if you actually want an astrologer to look at the information. And I understand all of the concerns about that of sharing publicly, sharing with strangers on the internet. I get that. It's a thing. Um, but so just you know, a little bit out there for how to how to actually get some useful information out of astrology. And astrology is not for everyone. <laughs> I, I get it. It's it's a ton of information, and it it's it's very confusing. It, it's it's like any other realm. There's a a barrier to entry in technical jargon. You know, there's so many terms that we use and everything else. And if you don't know the words. Uh, you, you get word salad pretty soon and none of it makes sense. Yeah. So don't feel discouraged in that. Um, 
if, if astrology is your calling, you'll get there and it'll eventually make sense. And if not, um, that's why consulting astrologers have jobs like me. <laughs> you can always go ask an astrologer. That's my job to translate the astrology to something understandable instead of, you know, oh, Vesta is currently in a partile conjunction with Uranus, but it's only making a trine to Ceres, which is in a stationary position. <laughs> what what does that mean to anybody? Oh, that made perfect sense, yes. <laughs> it means everybody's moving house is what it means. Nia said they'll join the uh, Discord server. It is, if you go check the links in the description, there should be a link tree in there, it's in there. So uh, you can pick it up in that. Um, and it probably is best to share that information on Discord because you can always go and delete it. Uh, yes, Not, not yes. so easy in the chat here. Um, um, Pop me said, uh, I have had a chaotic couple of months. Do you see any calming down in my chart? I have your chart in my database. So let me grab your transits and secondary progressions and see where we are. Oh yeah, you've had some some very chaotic times. Because Uranus is in your seventh house opposing your uh, Scorpio ascendant. Okay, let's see. Let's look at what's coming up here in your progression. Uh, Mars is in your first house too. And retrograde in the... Let me grab solar return for you this year. As I mumble, mumble through. This is what... <laughs> mumble, mumble, mumble. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Let's look at the progressions here. Oh, oh, you just had a birthday, so let's see what this coming year. Into an eighth house cancer year. Well, uh, I don't know that I would use the word calming down. But um, a difference, a different change in energy. It's going to be a little while until Mars progresses out of your first house, um, because it's in retrograde. What is this? April of eighty-four. Uh, grab an ephemeride for 84. See where we are here in Mars's retrograde cycle. April 26. Oh no, that's going to be. That's going to be there for some time and get off of there. The node is on your Pluto. Okay, so I'm going to attribute some of this roughness to the south node on your 12th house, Pluto. 
kind of making things um, really concerned with disintegration and removing things and pulling things apart. Um, we've also got the moon in the fourth, which uh, really puts a heavy emphasis on uh, family and home and, you know, living circumstances. Now that moon is going to change and move here this year, so that won't be as bad. Uh, the south node does move further away from the Pluto. It's still in the 12th house, so if you haven't actually um, done the rebuilding work, the shadow work of integration, that's still going to feel icky, but you're just now past the, the tear it apart part. So you can start the rebuilding, even though I'm sure it doesn't quite feel like it yet, because it's just like that much past, <laughs> you know, it's just barely moved on. But that tear it all apart and, and rip it open has come to an end. It's probably still raw. It's probably still wounded. Um, but you can you can start to rebuild and, and put things together. And this last Scorpio eclipse, um, still in it for like another week. So, but once that eclipse clears and that energy starts to clear, I think the middle of May things will start to to pick up and look a little brighter as we move away from the end of this Scorpio eclipse series. Because you've had like four different significations kind of ripping your life apart recently. So it should start to pick up and you're just, I mean, right at the tail end of these things. So a little bit more to get through um, with the Scorpio eclipse and the pulling apart. Uh, but you can start to rebuild. You can start to put things back together here. Now the Scorpio eclipse is still going to pull some things apart. You do have the North node actually uh, coming into conjunction with your part of fortune in the sixth, which uh, should help to kind of realign things and bring you back onto seeing where the path is going and where there are openings and options. So, you know, that's nice. I think that will be a little more apparent again after we get through this eclipse. Um, with the, the changeover in years with your birthday just happening um, last month, and then these eclipses happening here in your your first and seventh houses right there on your ascendant descendant axes and and this eclipse is nearly going to hit your ascendant um it's right between your ascendant and saturn right there so it's going to be very noticeable you know if you can if you can take the weekend off um you can take a little time to just lay low sleep through it um you're going to get some purging you're going to get some catharsis. I don't think there's any way around that for where this falls in your chart. So, you know, breathe through that. Let that that last bit of release and, and catharsis happen. Um, and then, then some rebuilding, then some growth and that sort of thing. But I think uh, the, the, the May rebuilding phase Again, as we get through this eclipse and things start re-emerging, planets pick up speed, um, is going to feel much better for you. Because you, you're still in it a little bit, but it's almost over. Almost. Real close. Okay. Uh, so, Lansun said, I'll be very interested in Rev, Rev Kai looking at my chart. 
uh, especially on how to proceed with a successful and transformative year. Um, I would like to take this opportunity to do some advertising. If you go to revkai.com, you can get a more in-depth look at your chart and horary charts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So please go over so, to revkai.com. I will do astrology course. consultations on whatever you want. I do not do readings where I just give you a chunk of information and you have to figure it out. I do consultations where we have a conversation about your goals and what you want. And I read the astrology to help you achieve your goals. So it's, it's not the same approach. Astrologers are different in their approaches and how they like to do things. Um, but, you know, I, I'm happy to, to have a quick look at charts on the server. And, and especially when we do these forecasts, I like to help everybody uh, try to get some timing and get some use out of astrology. That's my biggest thing is astrology is one of the three pillars of the Western magical tradition. And um, it's daunting to learn. There's so much in there and there's so much to consider. And, and things like, you know, is Mercury a morning or an evening star? And what synodic phase is it in in your chart? Makes a difference. Uh, these are things that most people don't get into. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to offer consultations. Um, I do also... Um, one of the things I regularly do for people is uh, spell divination. If you have a big magical working you want to undertake and you want to see if it's going to work or if it needs tweaked or what, um, that's one of the things I've specialized in for many years. So happy to do that sort of stuff. Cool. Prof uh, Mesa, thank you. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yep, sounds like it. Yep, yep. It's very dark right now, but there is an end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't see the light. <laughs> I've been there. I, I have a Scorpio sun. Um, <laughs> I know. I know what this all is for for my fellow uh, Scorpio placements. We're we're getting through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be over soon, really. <laughs> Actually, opposed to that, I've had a very good couple of months. Um. I've other people say it's just been so bad. I'm like, no, it hasn't. It's been great. <laughs> well, Mars is uh, retrograde in your chart. Mars in its fall, oh, and, right, and yes. all of your your Mars problems drop off. And they aren't so bad, it's you not know. Retrograde anymore, is it? No, well, in your natal chart, it's retrograde, so it's oh, okay. always retrograde in your natal chart. Mm. Mm. Right, have we yeah. got any other questions? Put them in the chat. I'm not sure if Nia has succeeded in joining the Discord. I haven't seen a message come through yet, I don't think. Oh, yeah, I just saw something come through. Oh, oh I just looked at your progressions. No wonder you're having a good time. Your progress, yeah. Your progress sun is um, conjunct the nodes. Okay. That's always like I am on my destined path. My conjunct <laughs> nodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> uh. 
So is that going to carry on, or is it just going to come to a, a grinding halt? No, it, it's quite a long transit, actually. And it usually signifies like a, a turning in, in your life where you feel like you finally got your shit together. Mm. And you can just be doing the thing you want to be doing. Mm. You know, um, it's it's like getting onto the path. And once you've had the experience of being on the path, even when the nodes move on and your progressed sun moves on, which they kind of stick together for a little while, which is why it's a nice long transit, you know what it feels like now. And it's very easy to return to. Mm. Okay, cool. Uh, Nia said, uh, for me, it's been little ups and downs, but mostly the past couple of months were really good. Um, Solemn Sunset, I believe I joined. I hope you joined. I'm sure you joined. I've seen you on, on the Discord, I'm sure. Um, Nia said, I'm on my way, been cooking, but now I'm starting my computer. Aha! It's on a Discord on my phone. Okay. Well, it's always always the fun of, of what's the mobile app and what do you have on your computer and where does all this go? I, I love all of these tools we have for connecting these days, but... Um, it does get to be a bit much <laughs> mm. as we go through all of the things. Yeah. I'm going to say not, not a lot gets opened on my phone. I think just WhatsApp. Mostly. I'm on, I'm on Discord all the time because it's how I communicate with most people because mm. it doesn't have any ads. Mm. No ads, no algorithms. Nobody blocking me from seeing things. Nice. That's the beauty of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, what should we talk about next, then? I was just going to talk, ask you about the Morning Stars, and we've done that now. Yeah. Um, actually, let me pull up. If you go to... We get the right thing here. The right screen at the right time. Okay, here we go. Screen share. So I'm on AstroSeq here, and under Astro Tools, there is Planetary Cycles. You can look at the synodic cycles. We'll pull up Mercury. And you can actually see, I'm going to put three Mercury cycles there's three in a year. You can actually see the dates for all of these things that I keep talking about. The Promethean conjunction, the Epimethean conjunction, the greatest western and eastern elongations, when it's visible, when it's not visible. So you can, um, I love AstroSeq for this because they, they show all of this wonderful stuff. Um, but you can track this yourself um, and not just have to, to wait for my forecast, although I, I love to have you here. Um, but they will show you these um, conjunctions and settings so that you can track when it is the evening star, when it is the morning star. And you can pull that up for um, Venus, Mars, and Mercury. Uh, they don't have the same cycles for Jupiter and Saturn, uh, because they are much, much longer cycles. And like Jupiter is only the morning star once a year. Jupiter moves so slow. Uh, Saturn is only the morning star every eight years, 
no, three years. Um, so they don't happen nearly as often. Whereas with Mercury, this happens three times a year uh, that it goes through both uh, morning and evening. So if you want to track that, I think both Mercury and Venus and, and the um, heliacal risings and settings or the morning and evening star uh, process is really important to keep track of in magic. Mercury, especially because Mercury is Hermes, uh, you know, the, the, the god of magic, um, the, the, the goddess of transformation and, and going between. Uh, we're practicing the hermetic arts um, when we practice magic and astrology. So knowing where Mercury is in that cycle, and especially having this language of, you know, the, the morning star, the evening star, uh, the Promethean uh, conjunction, the Epimethean conjunctions, they will give you the, the keywords into the mythology to help you understand these movements and, and these changes and these environments. And then um, that also applies to your natal astrology. Uh, you know, in your natal chart, where is Mercury in its synodic cycle with the sun? Where's your natural place? If you are born with, say, Mercury at its eastern elongation, and is uh, it's an evening star, well, even though that's not Mercury's favorite spot, it's going to work really well for you because you're already lined up with that resonance. You're already feeling that vibe. And so knowing where that is in your natal chart will help you do better magic because we all know magic works best if you can get as many things as possible lined up, right? That's why we have all these correspondence tables. That's why we've got you know, the scents and the colors and, and the stones and the everything. Astrology is one more piece of that. And being able to, to line up your um, natal resonance with what's going on outside will give you these timing windows where you are more powerful because you are more in line with what is happening. And you're more likely to be able to make those changes and those corrections on the environment. So, um, it's important to, to pay attention to these cycles. Obviously, my opinion as an astrologer that does magic, <laughs> I'm going to say astrology is important. Um, but, you know, I have a lot of people that come to me and they'll be like, so I've been doing these this spell for years and then it didn't work. And then it started working again. And it's like, well, we can look at the astrology and figure out why it's there and why it's not. And help you apply your energy in a way that is... That is um, useful. I mean, uh, I'm a Scorpio. Do more with less, you know. So, mm, I don't know. I'm rambling there. But you can track you can track the synodic cycles on AstroSeek. I think it's very helpful to be able to see that and pay attention to that. Because if you read the old texts, right? If you're reading the old grimoires and magic books, they're talking about Prometheus. They're talking about the morning star. They're talking about the evening star, and this is what they're referring to, the synodic cycles of Mercury, Venus, and Mars. Mm. Uh, Nia said, uh, true, lately I've been noticing I've been overwhelmed by social media and so much content on YouTube and Twitch always feels like you're missing out. Um, well, I don't really feel like I'm missing out with Facebook, I must say. 
Solomson said, been going through some of the peaks of the old Saturn return. Is there astrology or magical tips or information for navigating this? I've been looking a lot into Saturn lately. I think the best way as uh which is in traditional, which is to understand Saturn, is um, as the farmer and the reaper. Saturn is originally an agricultural deity. Um, I know in modern times, Saturn often gets associated with death and limits and stops, and people talk about how terrible their Saturn return is because it's all about rules, and Saturn says no to things all the time. But Saturn says no because it's not time. Saturn is is Kronos, the goddess of time. Um, you know, this is this is everything in their season. And Saturn returns are when that cycle starts over for you. So Saturn has has three cycles. Um, usually I like to track them as the three decanates through each sign. The first one is clearing. It is not planting, it is clearing, it is preparing the field. And that's what happens at a Saturn return. Saturn comes along and says, here's all this junk in your life. Get rid of it or we can't plant anything. You know, we have to prepare the field. We have to remove the weeds. We have to say no to all of this stuff. You want to plant and you want to do things. It's not the time for that. Saturn says at a Saturn return. But also, your harvest was just completed then. And it's time to really look back and go, well, what did I get from the work I put in? What, what was the return on my time? And so that process is, um, is maturation. It, it's coming to understand um, when the right time for things is, when it is time to sow, when it is time to reap, when it is time to rest and wait for things to come about. Saturn involves a lot of waiting and, and a lot of work without immediate return. When you're, when you're growing a, a long-term plant like uh, wheat, you don't eat the day you plant the seed, right? You have to plan long in advance so that not only do you not starve over the winter, but you have enough to feed you until the next harvest. So Saturn has a lot of these things and it's about these big long-term cycles and in our modern world we don't like that we just want to go to the grocery store and get our stuff and get on with things because we have other things to do but saturn is very much about slowing down it's about waiting and saturn will give you the rewards if you do the work before he gets there you're in the middle of your saturn return so it's a little late for that but that's how everybody comes to a saturn return um, for other Saturn transits, like you're, um, you're going to get to the opening sextile. So when Saturn is 60 degrees away from your natal Saturn past it, if you do the integration planning clearing work, when Saturn gets to that sextile, it'll just show up and be like, check, check, check. You've done all the things. Here's your reward. If you don't, Saturn will show up and be like, you can't do anything anymore because work. It's that limit. It's that final thing. So it's always the, the integration, the planning, the long-term view, the long-term cycles 
that are coming with Saturn. And a first Saturn return is rough because rarely, unless you grew up with like an astrologer parent or something like that, did we get a chance to learn that before? This is the first time Saturn has come back and really said, no, honey, there's a hard limit. We've kind of hit those stages before because, you know, in, in the 28-year cycle that is Saturn, the first stage, the seven, the first square, is what we call the age of wisdom. And at seven years old, we're not thinking about wisdom in long term, but it's when we, we hit reasoning. We can start seeing cause and effect. We can start putting that together. The Saturn opposition at 14 is when we establish independence. And we begin to pull away from, from those long-term structures and, and want to strike out and get away from such things. And again, we're not thinking about the long-term at that point because we have not experienced what a full harvest cycle is like. And then again, at, at 21, we're at the closing square. We think we're grown. We think we know everything, right? We think we're adults. Um, and we think we're we're at the end of it and we're ready to do the things now. We've learned all the things, but we still got a quarter of the way to go. We still actually got to do the harvest and process and storage. And again, I'll go back to the agricultural metaphor. If you've ever harvested an entire crop, you know it doesn't end the day you pick it. You have to process it correctly. You have to store it. You have to protect it. You have to parcel it out. If you just take all of your wheat and pile it up in a big pile, it rots and you get rats and, and ergot poisoning, right? It, it's terrible. It's a mess. So there's more work than just the harvest. And we don't realize that till we finally get to that, that Saturn return that, uh, that happens sometimes between 27 and 30. Um, and then, then we're like, oh my, uh, what, what do I do? You know, uh, I, I harvested, I did work, I planted, I cleared field, I did everything, and now I'm looking at a pile of, you know, rotting wheat full of rats. <laughs> and and it's not so good, because Saturn has come to, to cash the bill, to say that the check is due. And so, you know, it, it's tough, it's rough, um, but really stepping back and approaching it, and looking at the long-term cycles, looking at what work is to be done, planning. Planning is a big thing for Saturn. Structure, habits, repetition, they're all big things for Saturn. And applying energy where it's needed and not where it's not. Saturn won't help you if you just rail and, and do a bunch of activity and a bunch of action. Mars is all on board for that. Saturn is not. Saturn is old and tired and only wants to work when it is absolutely necessary. So. <laughs> um, the wisdom of age, you know, work smarter, not harder. Um, so there's a lot of that to integrate and a lot of that to understand as we come to understand the Saturn cycle. It can help you to get through your Saturn return if you start going back and looking at what was happening at those various stages. Um, not just the squares, I marked out the squares, the 7, 14, 21, 28, but the trines where it was easy, the sextiles where there were opportunities, uh, the quincunxes, the, the five harmonic where there was um, creativity 
with Saturn. And if you have a good history, of course, astrology always helps if, if you have a good history of things of your life. You can look back and see, what were you doing when Saturn was in a creative phase? Oh, well, I can do this to, to be more in harmony with the creative harmonic of Saturn. What were you doing when Saturn was in that opposition phase? Well, these are the actions I took that, that caused friction that caused problems with planning and structure and where I experienced the nose and the limits of Saturn a lot. So you might want to back those off. So that's my, my short Saturn return spiel. <laughs> in, in true Saturn fashion of not really short. <laughs> well, Nia said they're learning a lot, so that's good. Uh, and uh, Nia said, uh, sent you a message on Discord. Um, do you want to do that now or on Discord? Uh, we're, we're about done here. I can... Yeah, we're almost up to two hours. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some um, charts uh, in the Astrology channel on our Discord. Cool. All right, then. Uh, so we'll bring today to an end. And... Next week, not entirely sure if we will be here live. If we're not, then I think we're due for a Follow the White Rabbit show, which I'll upload. Um, but I'll know tomorrow. And if we can do a live next week, we will be doing um, the second part or part two of Mental Health and Magic, um, which uh, I think everybody enjoyed last week. So we're going to continue with that. And yeah, so check out the link in the description if you have not joined us on Discord or we also have the Facebook group. Uh, we prefer Discord. Um, then join us on there and continue the chat there. Ask any questions you'd like. Check out our web, or don't check out our website because I've still got to fix it. Um, <laughs> Google worked <laughs> some things for us. It's Mercury retrograde. Yeah. It'll be back. <laughs> All right, so we'll see you next week. Uh, have a good one. Until then, uh, Solomon said, Solomon said, all of it is incredibly helpful. Thank you graciously. Have a wonderful day. Wonderful and informative as always. Good stuff. Thank you, all for, thank you all for being here and, and chatting with us and bringing us questions. Yep. It's always great to have a good conversation. Yep. All right, so we'll see you next time. Cheers for now. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us in the Wildwood. Meet us again next week for another episode. And don't forget to check out our website at intothewildwood.com. That's Wildwood with a Y. And if you would like to support us, you can leave a donation on the website.